In this episode of Full Stack Radio, I talked to Torin Billups about the test-driven development workflow he uses when he's test-driving Ember applications. This is Full Stack Radio, episode 49. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Full Stack Radio Podcast. I hope you're excited for this interview with Torin. It's a really awesome conversation. We talk about lots of cool tips and tricks for dealing with test driving JavaScript stuff, you know, on the front end and the tools that he uses and the workflow that he likes. And I learned a lot, so I think you'll learn a lot too. Uh, Before we get into the interview, I just wanted to give a quick update on some of the stuff I'm working on. So I'm still working hard on test-driven Laravel, if you haven't heard about that. So if you're interested in learning more, you can head over to testdrivenlaravel.com. But right now what I'm doing is I'm working on building out kind of the demo application that we're going to be building in the course so I can get it up on a site somewhere so people can actually play around with it and hopefully get excited about the stuff that we're going to be building and uh, see some of the cool and kind of hard to test features that hopefully we're going to be driving it with TDD and uh, hopefully teaching you how to test some of the kind of scarier corners of your application like billing code or stuff that deals with file uploads or uh, stuff that relies on external services, just kind of the hairier stuff that's harder to test in isolation. I really want to do a good job in kind of exploring those areas because I think they're not really talked about enough. And at the same time, just kind of talking about how I like to build Laravel applications in general. So again, if you're interested in learning more about that, head over to testdrivenlaravel.com and uh, sign up for the mailing list and I'll shoot you all sorts of updates about uh, how it's going as I'm working on it and let you know when it's ready. Hopefully it's going to be ready by, my goal is the end of September, uh, I think that's a little bit optimistic, but I'm still going to try and shoot for it, but definitely within the first couple weeks of October at the latest. So uh, yeah, check that out and on to the interview with Torin. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Full Stack Radio podcast where I talk to people in the software industry about everything from user experience and product design to unit testing and system administration. My name is Adam, as always, and today I'm here with Torin Billups, who's uh, well-known in the Ember community for his TDD ninja skills. How's it going, Torin? <laughs> Uh, it's super. Just excited to be on, Adam. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Uh, so I guess for people who aren't familiar with you, do you mind just briefly introducing yourself? Yeah, I'm a software developer. I live in Iowa. I work remotely full-time for uh, Q2, which is a uh, kind of fintech company out of Austin, Texas. And yeah, I'm kind of known in the Ember community uh, for the test-driven um, meme or the test-driven ideas that we'll probably talk more about today. Awesome. Yeah, the reason I wanted to have you on the show was to talk about some of the testing stuff because I remember, I don't know, was it maybe last year you did a, a talk at EmberConf, I think it was? On, uh, 2015. On, yeah, on TDD. And I remember everyone was going crazy on Twitter talking about your uh, crazy Vim skills. So I had to go and check it out. And it was it was pretty awesome to see like kind of your workflow going through like building a, a little, you know, small Ember app live on stage there. So that's definitely something that I'll have to uh, link to in the show notes for people to check out because it was really cool. So I'd be interested in, I guess, learning more about maybe like what your background is and like how you got into TDD. And then maybe we can talk a little bit about uh, your workflow and the way that you like to do that stuff. Yeah, uh, my background uh, actually, you know, years ago was doing uh, C sharp. And then before that VB, uh, before that PHP, I know PHP has changed a lot. Uh, You're obviously big in that crowd now. So um, but yeah, early, early days, I was uh, uh, just kind of hacking away out of uh, college. I didn't really know much. I didn't have a lot of good mentors. I felt like 
every time I came back to look at a method that even I wrote, uh, let alone if a coworker had written it at a new job, there wasn't a lot of context or information about why we did things. Or of course, if, you know, if I wanted to change anything, there was no real confidence. And I think after a while, I just got a little concerned uh, as to if people would be able to do software long term. It felt like every project I had seen to this point in my career was sort of a mess and everyone just kind of jokingly at every job talked about a rewrite and we of course never did that. And a friend of mine got me interested and sometime in the two, 2007 range, uh, there was a .NET programmer because that's the place I was in at the time. His name was uh, Jean-Paul Boudou. I don't know if you remember that name. No, don't know that one. Yeah. He's a uh, he actually, I think he lives in Canada-ish. You're from the Canadian side yep. of the world, right? Yep. Yeah. So he uh, he was doing a ton of training in the C-sharp space, of course, back in like 2007. You know, TDD was not very mainstream like it is today. So this was uh, really pushing the boundaries. And a friend of mine uh, was kind of becoming a mentor of mine in- internally at this company and thought, hey, what if there was a test? And I thought for, you know, the moment, writing software that tests software was obviously very a strange idea. Uh, and it got me hooked. And I think to this day, I f- still feel like I'm just learning test-driven development. To uh, there's, there's, It's more of a journey, I think, than a, a destination. And uh, every single day when I'm pairing with a younger person, less experienced with me, or someone who's got a lot more experience, I learned something different about TDD. It's just that vast. So Awesome. Yeah, I definitely agree. So I guess like the thing that's most interesting to me um, that you are kind of an expert in is the front end side of things, right? That's an area that I've always kind of struggled with when it comes to um, the you know testing period, let alone like the test driven stuff. I find when you're trying to do stuff on the back end, it, things are a lot simpler in terms of like, I guess the thing that really makes things hairy for me usually is dealing with the DOM, right? And d- deciding like, do I test against the DOM? Do I have some intermediate representation of whatever I'm doing that I can test against? Uh, How does that tie in with like an outside in like TDD workflow? Uh, What am I defining up front? So I've played with a couple different things and I still haven't really found a, a workflow that I really like. So I'd love to hear about what your workflow is like when you are test driving like front end code. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I was listening to your recent uh, TDD podcast uh, and it was more from the Rails perspective than the front end perspective. Yeah. And I, I thought one one really big challenge I'd have if, if we got together and talked about this is just nailing down some vocabulary. Uh, in the Ember community, we actually have some different meanings for the same words that every other TDD camp uh, has. And I thought we'd, we'd start out by defining those and then just give an example. Sounds good. Uh, so, in the Ember camp, and again, this is all front-end, so we're not going to be talking about any back-end services or anything like that. So there is this idea of an acceptance test. That's the word we use for the highest level front-end feature test. And you can think of the context or the reader as the PM, the product owner, the person who, maybe even the customer or the user, who's trying to click buttons and toggle checkboxes, that type of, of level abstraction. That is the acceptance test. The super overloaded word uh, integration test uh, in this context for today, we'll, we'll kind of talk about really just a way to render whether shallow or deeply web components and those kind of mix in, you know, some state and then render out some HTML. And then, of course, the mega, mega overloaded unit test word. <laughs> and that, of course, means so many things to so many people. I couldn't define it. What I uh, like to use the really broad but specific enough definition is it's the lowest level test as you decompose a problem. So a lot of times it is just basic Mocha or QUnit, whatever you're into. On the Ember side, most people are using uh, QUnit here. And you kind of just either have functions or very uh, small interactions between objects. 
and you assert some behavior. So I thought rather than just be super vague, we just give a, a very basic example. Uh, I've been building a kind of a Yelp-like restaurant rating clone recently for a training. And I thought one really good example that's come out of some of the work I've been doing that shows outside in and the value that it provides was, uh, let's assume you already have a, a website that lets you view information about restaurants and what's missing now is the ability to have the end user actually rate this restaurant between one and five. Okay. There's a lot of parts, right? There are a lot of small moving parts. And so the outside inflow would typically start with this top level test. And we, in Ember, of course, we call this acceptance testing. And this is truly almost like just a DSL uh, that lets you click and toggle and go to a URL, that sort of interaction. So in this case, we would probably come in deep linked to the detail URL for some restaurant, right? And assuming this is not our first rodeo, we've already got some existing code, maybe some existing tests. It's likely or highly likely that we already have a test in place that kind of goes to this detail route and just says, hey, here's the restaurant name. Great. So we, we could either hijack that test or if there's a mess of other interactions, we could possibly just fork that and create a new test that is very specific to this feature that says we want to come in and we want to change the rating from, let's say, a three to a five. That'll be our very basic test. And immediately I start thinking to myself, well, if I'm going to change it from a three to a five to kind of assert that we can't alter the rating, what about if we kind of slow roll and let's take it back a little bit and just come in and actually view that I've already rated it a three and I can visibly see in the DOM, like you were saying, that there is a three. Mm -hmm. There's a lot, of, a lot of pieces still missing there. And so the first thing I would do is, is obviously come in and assert some page or part of the, the page is where the star component should be. And of course, it's missing. And this is where my view on outside in TDD is a little different from other people that I talk to. A lot of people would just say, okay, this is the boundary. This is where I either insert a mock or I kind of pause and I, I test drive a little bit lower. And I say, uh, in my view, this is just some test friction. It doesn't mean that this test uh, should be thrown out or completely uh, mocked at the boundary necessarily. I like to say this is just kind of a good stopping point. I'm feeling test friction here. And I want to come down maybe to write the web component itself. So maybe there's already a detail uh, web component and there's just no star component in it. Yeah. Uh, so I could either write a quote integration test here. This is where the words get a little funny. But integration in this case is, uh, I know you have some experience with Vue and if you're using React or Ember or Angular, uh, all those have the same concept. It's this uh, vocabulary we share about web components. And in this case, imagine that there is just a web component that has right now just the name of the restaurant. It's so basic. It's like a span. Yeah. You know, it's maybe the only thing we've asserted. So I could actually drop down. And one of the other reasons that we do pivot and drop down is this higher level test, as you can imagine, backend testing, like I've heard you talk about in the past, these integration tests that you're actually hitting databases and such, they're very expensive. And although this acceptance test is just on the front end and there's no database, they're still a little bit more costly, probably an order of magnitude slower than you imagine just rendering some HTML. Uh, there's also a nice benefit to this pivot where I get to take, I, I call it guilt. Like you ever have this when you're programming and at the top level, you're kind of like, hey, as a product owner, um, I just need to kind of rush through the happy path. There's, there's no time to think about the edge cases and I feel really guilty because I just need to get it done. So when I pivot to this middle test, the integration test for the web component, I can take that hat off as well as the guilt that comes with it. And then I can focus very specifically on the HTML and a couple of the kind of happy path edge cases, but probably more than I would do if I was just doing the PM story. So I don't, I don't mean to go to the, or we could take this to an extreme 
and never come up <laughs> the rabbit hole. But I think this gives us an appropriate amount of respect for the web component developer, and we get to test drive this all the way to a certain point. Now, if you're using Redux or you know whatever the kids are using these days, um, you know MobX is the new one, I guess. And there, there becomes a point somewhere in the web components lifecycle, in particular when I click the star rating to a five. And these are just kind of some high level views. So I get to a point where the web component kind of gets to a stopping point. And it doesn't mean the web component's done. I'm really just at an error. And I think I heard you mention this in a previous podcast where you get to an error, which is like, hey, I meant to actually have this action handled and there's no one to handle it. It's almost a really great place to stop. And so that's actually what I would do here uh, is say, okay, the integration test, which is all about data in HTML out. Um, for the web component, yep. really basic behaviors. I'm going to put that test on hold also. And you can kind of see a queue, right? A queue is backing up here where I'm just filtering out tests. And I drop down to maybe a unit test. And this unit test in particular is maybe just the reducer of the Redux setup. And it's really just data in, you know, new state out. And it kind of helps me assert that once this new state comes across, that I actually sync and get a new state of five for the button, the star rating button. And then once that test is passing, of course, that API now exists. So once I bring back that middle test, suddenly it's just passing for free. And then once I go to this top level test, suddenly it's just passing for free. And that was literally outside in. Just wanted to take a quick break to thank one of this week's sponsors, and that is Rollbar. So here's what Andrew, the co-founder of Clubhouse, which is an agile project management tool, had to say about Rollbar and how they use it at their company. What Rollbar let us do is is to very quickly react uh, when when a bug actually happens and keep bugs from becoming huge issues for us as a as a company. Let's say I'm looking at a specific bug, I can see the exact stack trace for that bug because we have source maps enabled. We can see exactly what line caused the issue, not just you know line six thousand. On top of that, we can see who it's affected, how often it's happened over the last sixty days, which is great. Uh, and we can also, with any alert, we can pass in basically a list of interactions that led up to that point in time. User clicked on story, open story, updated the owner, and then if that was the last thing in the, in the interaction, then we know it's possible that it was related to that. So I've been using Rollbar a lot lately on my SaaS app, Nitpick CI, and loving it. Uh, if you want to check it out, you can head over to rollbar.com slash fullstackradio, and you can use their bootstrap plan for free for 90 days. So check that out, and uh, thanks again to Rollbar for sponsoring Full Stack Radio. So a question that I guess I have that I run into a lot when I'm trying to work that way, if you are starting from like the acceptance test level and you write a single acceptance test for this uh, star component and you find that, okay, well, it's failing because the star component doesn't exist, decide to drop down to an integration test level and start driving out the component on its own, are you defining behavior of that component that is more than is needed to pass the acceptance test. You know what I mean? Like, so I, I have this kind of friction with outside NTDD in general, where it's like, if I'm always supposed to start from the outside, does that mean I have to address every single case from the outside? Or can I test cases on the component level that are not necessarily going to have any effect on whether the existing acceptance test is going to pass or fail? You know what I mean? Like maybe I have one acceptance test and I do that one behavior on the component level, but I also know there's these four edge cases that I'd like to handle and I implement tests for those, but there's no acceptance test kind of forcing those out. Do you have like opinions on on how you deal with that like workflow or, or how you decide it's okay to write a test at a lower level that wasn't triggered by a failure at an outer level, if that makes sense? Yeah, uh, the terrible response is kind of, it depends, but I think the, uh, if I could come up with an example, uh, the star rating component example uh, is a really good one. So 
uh, let's say there are a couple different behaviors where I come in and it hasn't been rated at all. And I wanna see what various things happen. I wanna see if I click five versus three versus two. From the acceptance level, there's really just one story. Uh, being that there's no no one kind of knows the implementation details of the system so they just come in and click it and then maybe in the same flow or the same spec you kind of click back one and just make sure it doesn't blow up um, but I would say your point is right on that with infinite time and money we'd probably just write all acceptance tests um, and then some integration tests and some unit tests that kind of fill in these acceptance tests are super valuable uh, they provide the story the documentation that other developers come later and, and read but they come at a cost and that's just not a speed cost. Uh, it's also locale, meaning we don't get closely associated with the error message when it breaks. So a lot of these edge cases you're talking about, and if they truly feel pretty close to an edge case, and that's you know up to your uh, interpretation, but if they feel pretty close to an existing behavior, I would just drive them out at the integration. And if it's a regular expression, for example, I would probably drop even lower and just drive those out at the unit level. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's probably a judgment call uh, each step of the way, but recognizing the trade-offs of acceptance testing being they're, they're bigger, they're slower, and the errors that you'll get won't be closely tied to the code that's actually failing often. So the thing I guess that I struggle with is it feels like if I'm driving out behaviors at a lower level, right? And defining like what should happen in this error state, but there was no acceptance test for that. I feel like I'm missing this kind of like verification where I can prove that like my UI or whatever even knows how to handle whatever is going to come back from that component. If I've decided that this component should do this in this error case that wasn't driven out from an acceptance test level, how do I know that the stuff at the acceptance test layer um, can even deal with that response. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I would say you, you definitely still want at least one error case through the acceptance test. Even if you're kind of, you know, something's tugging at your heart saying, we don't need this here. You are going to miss a lot of connected pieces. And I think you're, the bigger theme I'm getting from the conversation here is just how do I know when? And I think, honestly, just don't add any code. You know, if there's if there's code that would say, oh, in, in the fetch response, if I get a 500, then I want to throw a modal. And that has nothing to do with the component and the, and the component graph. It's more at the route level. Don't write any of that route code until you absolutely get to the point where you're thinking about, hey, you know, maybe even you do some discovery. You just put the, the test to the side, go use the app, and it breaks, and you're like, ah, this isn't, I don't feel good about this. Then you kind of go write that test first that says, hey, I get a 500 in the fetch response. Then I expect this modal, and I expect some other UI state. And in that case, I think I think the acceptance test is actually right on there because uh, to, to be quite honest, no code is written for me that doesn't start with some kind of failing test. And uh, to your point, there's a lot of kind of glue code between the route and the components and the action of the user here. So the acceptance test is the most appropriate place, I think, for that scenario. Cool. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So something that I'm kind of getting from this conversation, I think, and the, the way that you're talking about doing like the outside in stuff, uh, which is different than, you know, how some camps of testers talk about stuff is that you're more focused on like writing this acceptance test from a sort of prove things work point of view rather than a let me decide what things I want to interact here and design how they interact right it kind of like the the, the classicist versus mockist sort of thing right and uh, traditionally I'm, I'm on your side I think if I'm understanding your side correctly <laughs> which is that you know I like the fact that I can get feedback from my tests about my design and stuff like that. But for the most part, I truly am more interested in getting, you know, the regression benefits, I feel like, than I am the kind of hand wavier design benefits. So I'm kind of curious about your opinion on that kind of conversation. Yeah, this is, 
you know, always the most dogmatic discussion around TDD as a design tool. And of course, there was a bunch of, you know, Kent Beck was in a, a bunch of discussions about that last year, I think it was, the after the DHH's big keynote. And I thought about this a little bit because uh, I'm, I'm certain that you and I both gained some benefits from regression and some benefits from, from design, but my view is actually very radically different. And I think of it more as a feedback tool to know that the change I actually made works at all. Uh, and I... I use it for that because it's actually faster than going to the browser. And a lot of people, you know, of course, if you're at a startup and you're just building the product, this will not be true. And I'm obviously not telling a, a truthful statement, but I think in a certain context, and that is a lot of bigger companies that have big code bases with a lot of components, uh, maybe a, you know, a one second or two second rebuild time on the JavaScript side with Babel and, and whatever tools they're using, there actually becomes a point, I think, where you're losing money if you're not doing it test first. And for me, uh, the company I'm at right now, that's definitely the, the thing I've tried to sell is, I remember, uh, you know, the first change I made, I was, I was trying to think, how would I do this without a test? Uh, it had been so long since I had done something not test first that I actually went to the browser, uh, I logged in, I got to the page, I made a change, and then I thought like, oh, I want to make this one, you know, one rename or something. And of course, without a test, what's that look like? And I think I did a little demo internally and the actual round trip because you get kicked out, you have to log back in and then actually see if this all worked after rebuilds and after pushing the code to the browser. It was like something on the, the order of like 60 seconds. Wow. And the TDD cycle, um, because at least Ember, Ember CLI, and there's probably other tools like this in the, the React and Vue communities, you basically just get a rebuild and you push your small, very siloed test case to the browser and it runs. And that was more like 10 seconds. So I could literally show with dollars and cents how feedback was the motivation and the right tool for the job. Uh, I think some of the other great benefits uh, people talk about, and I heard you talk about it recently as well, is just the guidance. And you kind of heard it as I went through the outside inflow, which is like, oh, what do I write next and when and why? And in my and almost the, to the point of like the definition of done. So without these tests, sometimes I just don't really know, am I done now? Or do I feel like the UI works to, to complete? Is the story finished? I don't know. Uh, so those are the main reasons as well as the big one I use for, for enterprise style, big code bases with lots of developers is it's really a story, the documentation, the context for the next developer. And I feel like most of the time when I'm hunting around in a big code base, I'm just trying to understand how I got here. Why is this feature important at all? And if there's at least an acceptance or an integration test to kind of show those interactions, I get a little more insight into why this became a feature or, or why this really weird private API was used at, at the bottom bottom here so totally makes a lot of sense um one thing i would like to get into actually is uh, we kind of glossed over a little bit when we were talking through the workflow but what is what sort of tooling are you using for uh these different types of tests so when you're writing like a, an acceptance test in ember what tools are you using for that yeah the ember community very blessed to have some hard-working people that uh, build in all these tools. Uh, at, with Ember CLI, which is kind of the de facto today, uh, if you just Ember new anything, you literally get a acceptance testing stack, you get an integration testing stack and a unit testing stack, all with either QUnit, which is kind of the out of the box scenario, or you could plug in Ember Mocha and use the Mocha tooling. It uh, really just provides kind of a basic DSL for what looks like, uh, if you're familiar with Selenium or WebDriver, it kind of looks like those style tests for these acceptance tests. But one of the big differentiators is these tests, these acceptance tests in Ember, they actually execute in the runtime. They're not outside poking buttons at a browser. They're actually in JavaScript. So that's one big pro. Uh, the integration testing in Ember, which I think is closer 
or you know very similar to like enzyme and probably view has something like this where you can just render you can just say data in html out what does this web component render so those style components and of course q unit or mocha at the bottom for just basic unit testing and they just all come wrapped up in a nice bow with ember cli cool so you're never using like selenium yeah it's an interesting question <laughs> i think anytime i use selenium i wish i didn't and then there are times where i'm not and i wish i did you know, one of the big gaps, one of the big gaps here that you know, anyone would take away from this conversation is we're only talking about UI, but there's a very big contract between client and server that's just completely untested from this discussion. And I think there is probably an appropriate place to have some happy path flows. For instance, uh, if you're transferring money and that's part of your, your uh, software, you should probably have a flow that logs in, transfers money, logs out. Uh, with Selenium, because that will exercise the contracts, probably the most important. Uh, you know, if I do a lot of online banking work, that's pretty darn important. So it'd be nice to see that tested. Uh, but there is obviously the one of the big downsides of Selenium is people lose faith in testing. I'm sure you've had it happen on projects and I've, I've had it happen where, oh, the Selenium build's failing now. Well, okay, it just it just fails every other Tuesday. So, you know, it's probably not a big deal. And then you know that the, the testing and the team begins to lose a little respect for those for those tests and almost uh, a certain amount of time that erodes their belief in testing as a thing. And so um, I'm a little afraid to too, dive too deep into that right now, just because I don't know much beyond I want them and I don't at the same time. Yeah, I think the part of the conversation is that's interesting for me is I know a lot of the people that I interact with um, that are looking for solutions to like browser style testing don't really know of alternatives outside of selenium so i don't know if this is something that you have a ton of experience with but if you were building like you know an app that was say a more traditional server rendered application that had javascript some heavy javascript on the front end but wasn't like a fully separated like you know ember project and then like a rails back end or or whatever do you know of any tools that you would recommend for browser style tests in those situations like i guess i'm wondering is the ember stuff like locked into ember and you can't use it outside of it or is it built on top of some tools that are more portable that you can use in other places or it's just a kind of a gray area to me that i don't know anything about so i'd love to hear anything that you have to to share on those ideas you know, I don't have a terrible amount of experience. Uh, in fact, you could probably point uh, at a timeline around 2012, and you could see that I dove very deeply from the Selenium style test. Um, in fact, the application you just described is one that we've all been on. I, I was on it back then. And I just very much did not enjoy the testing experience because you could unit test, of course, and everybody had their own little unit test build for their JavaScript. And then you kind of sprinkled that JavaScript into a page and ran Selenium and you were kind of stuck. Uh, then Ember came along and provided what looked like the Selenium style test, meaning I got my confidence that the whole thing worked together. Uh, and that really worked best in the single page app scenario because everything was obviously glued together with Ember. And I think there is probably a, a section of the tooling that's reusable. It's of course all built on QUnit, which uh, is just a basic JavaScript testing library. Uh, but there are definitely pieces that are very specific to Ember's uh, from the higher level, you know, how to render components. Uh, there's actually like an inline helper that renders those, probably similar to Enzyme or something in React. But yeah, I don't have a ton of experience there, unfortunately. Just wanted to take a quick break to thank one of this week's sponsors, and that is Shippo. So Shippo is a shipping API that connects you to over 15 different carriers like FedEx, GPS, USPS, Canada Post, uh, Uber Rush, all sorts of carriers like that, all in one super developer-friendly integration. So you can use the, the Shippo API to do things like compare shipping rates between carriers or print discounted shipping labels or validate shipping addresses or track packages, all sorts of stuff uh, related to shipping packages. And it's cool because it gives it to you under 
one kind of integrated API. So you just have like one place to hit and it gives you back all the different information from all the different carriers all in one consistent format. Instead of worrying about have to integrate manually with a bunch of different janky old APIs and stuff. So it's really cool because it's super developer friendly and focused on making it really easy to use uh, from a developer's point of view. So you can print a shipping label in about 10 minutes by connecting directly to their API or using one of their client libraries, which they have available for languages like PHP, Ruby, Python, Node. So to get started, all you have to do is enter your package and address information, select your preferred shipping service, and by default, they offer discounted USPS and DHL accounts, so you don't actually have to bother going and setting one up yourself. And then you can print your label and you're good to go. So using the Shippo API itself is actually free, so like getting shipping rates or validating addresses, none of that stuff will cost you a dime. All you pay for is packages that you're actually shipping. So you pay for the cost of the shipment, of course, and then Shippo just charges a five cent flat fee on top of that, which is pretty much nothing. So you can print your first shipping label today by heading over to goshippo.com and signing up. And thanks to Shippo for sponsoring Full Stack Radio. So when you're writing the acceptance tests in Ember, you said that they like run in like the JavaScript runtime. Does that mean that you are normally like stubbing out any server calls and stuff like that there? Or are you interacting with a real server when you write those tests? Yeah, most of the time, uh, it's just to avoid the conversation of kind of crossing that boundary. Uh, this tool is used with a, yeah, a very basic, you know, either fetch or Ajax style stub library. And that is, those are the assumptions that we kind of make when we write these acceptance tests is we have external APIs and services that we hit. And of course we stub those with either success or failure cases and then assert, you know, what the UI does or how the UI interacts. Yeah, that makes sense. That's something that like, I think a lot of people wish they had in other places uh, because it can be, I mean, one of the biggest obstacles for me in, with introducing Selenium into something is, you know, aside from the fact that it's just not enjoyable at all and feels slow and just like, I wish there was a better way. It sucks to have to set up like whole real test environments that have like persistent data that stick around through the course of the whole test suite. And it just like, it's a lot of complexity, right? And it becomes like a lot more difficult to manage. So I know that I've personally been getting a lot more comfortable with the idea of so say I have like some JavaScript component, right? That has like enough behavior that it's worth testing independently. I find myself more likely to test like the integration with the server by just like testing the endpoint that I'm hitting on the server. And like, that's like my backend test and not ever thinking about like visiting a page and clicking through and then ex expecting it to have some effect eventually in the backend. You know what I mean? And leaving that kind of like connection between like how the component talks to the backend untested essentially. And I'm pretty comfortable with it at this point. And I'm not really terribly worried about like getting bitten by regression problems in those cases. You know, I think you make a good point about certain applications where you probably really want to be able to verify that sort of thing, like banking and stuff like that. But I guess I find with my workflow, usually when I'm working on something that's uh, dealing with the browser, like some front end component, I still end up playing with it manually regardless, you know what I mean? So as long as I see it kind of work once before like I check in my code or whatever, I don't really feel like there's a lot of risk as far as like those two things getting out of sync in in my experience. So is that something that you find common? Do you have a similar sort of attitude when it comes to like, you know, that kind of area between like the request that the 
UI is sending to the back end and you know what the back end is expecting in terms of trying to keep that stuff tested or how important it is to keep it tested? Yeah, it greatly depends on the the team, you know, if people have experience doing this, how how fragmented, you know, do you have a front end team that's like 50 devs and they don't talk to the back end team and then you have a, you know, 50 dev back end team. Uh, I think almost a, at a bigger size, you need an, a team or a group of people that can own these tests and work on them. I don't view these tests as part of my test-driven workflow. Like you were saying earlier, they're really not part of the outside-in flow. Uh, and that's just because in, in my particular case, I'm doing less full stack these days. Obviously, we're on full stack radio, so this is a little messed up for me to say that. But Well, uh, it's full stack radio because we talk about things from all over the stack, but yeah. <laughs> true, yeah. And I, I think if you have someone who's truly full stack, in fact, I was consulting last year and we, we basically tried to bridge that gap. And the testing... With Selenium in those cases, while we still hit the API, we were we were doing some like Python API testing, and we obviously did some Ember testing, and then we brought it all together at the end with some basic tests to cover that both communicated in sync, and it never really felt like a dev you you know dev task. It was like oh now we gotta plug these together before we go live, so we really feel like you know I did the back end right and I got the front end right, and it's all good. So I think that's where I really struggle from a test driven test first perspective is that these tests are never written that way and they're always a almost a chore to maintain and so they just kind of fit outside of my dev test first box. Yeah, I think um I don't know the distinction that I've been trying to like make in my head is like deciding you know what boundary do I want to call like the application, you know what I mean? Like do I want to treat like my JavaScript as like a third party client of like the server stuff that I'm building even if I'm not doing like, you know, a separate client side app and you know server project like i think 99.9 percent of ember apps are done that way right it's not really i don't think it's very common for people to like sprinkle ember into like a rails project it's most of the time you're scaffolding out like an ember project in its own thing and they're talking to each other separately right yeah i don't work i've never worked in rails but i think yeah generally ember gets that impression that yeah you may start you know get your toe in the water uh, on a team but then very quickly your expectation is to grow it to a complete single page app where you just have almost like a ios client but it's written in javascript yeah exactly and that's kind of what i'm thinking too right like why would i it doesn't seem the right approach to me to test an ios app by testing it against like the real server necessarily right so you would still have that kind of like missing coverage area in between there but i feel like it probably doesn't trigger people's like oh i have untested code nervousness as much as it does in like a browser and server setting where it feels like they're a little closer together so i think it's interesting to think about like just because it's in a browser like don't think of it as any different than like a mobile app and don't worry about it so much unless like you know you can really verify that there's a lot of value in that, especially because it's very difficult tests to maintain a lot of the time and very (laughs) slow and stuff like that. So yeah, this feels very like trade-off, you know, we're just talking about trade-offs of how hard these are, how costly they are. And I think one, one point to call out is there are people that they don't have the pure SaaS model where, Hey, we just push to the server and there's a whole new API. A lot of times you have different versions for different clients and maybe you're maintaining five, six versions of an API. And in those cases, like we were kind of hinting at earlier, maybe it's so expensive to actually have a regression for these five versions for you know hundreds of clients that you actually do have a team that their whole job is to maintain the test and ensure uh, regressions don't pop up between APIs and API versions. And that could be across Ember clients, iOS clients, and Android clients. So if you're that big, there might be, but like we were talking about, the juice has to be worth the squeeze. That's a lot of work. Cool. Uh, one other topic I think that's kind of interesting is um, 
typically when you're doing like uh, browser testing stuff, you know, asserting against the DOM and stuff like that, I think some people get a little bit nervous that it feels like kind of brittle in terms of like, well, what if the design team decides to like change how this markup looks or they, I'm asserting that, you know, this copy appears on the screen, but they change it and now it breaks my tests, even though, you know, the app still is working. And you know what I mean? Like, is that something that you have a lot of thoughts on? Do you have any strategies for, trying to get the most value from your tests while still being, I guess, kind of um, impervious to those sorts of like superficial changes that might happen in the markup and stuff like that, or just any general tips or strategies around that or thinking that goes into it? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, if you're, if you have like copy that's being updated by marketing people, that might just not be, it might not be the right app <laughs> to, to be test driving. Uh, you know, the, the real big strategy I think you focus on is you're looking for, uh, you're looking to assert behavior. And if you start to reach outside of behavior or you really have marketing type copy, uh, maybe those are places that you eventually find over time are more expensive and they need to be less painful. Uh, one kind of middle ground though that I would throw out that's kind of interesting I've seen on teams is if we actually have a designer and he wants to come in or she wants to come in and really rework a web component, uh, we'll have certain or a certain way to flag uh, places inside the DOM to let this designer know, hey, this is actually being used in a test assertion. If you're going to you know, change this from a span to a div, please take that test class or test ID with you. Uh, or if you're going to throw this div away and completely restructure it up and kind of roll it up into another higher level component, um, you might want to bring a developer in quick just to kind of look it over uh, and just enables more of a collaborative experience. I think uh, these tests are brittle. And uh, that's the same answer I would give anyone who says, you know, why should I test UI? I think uh, you're, you're hopefully getting more value out of testing it than, you know, you're losing by sitting here maintaining a bunch of marketing copy. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, you do have to have those brittle ideas in mind as the front end developer and be very behavior specific and avoid just kind of weird things like, oh, I almost think like the, at the acceptance level over testing uh, all the very specific markup pieces is not very valuable. I'm just more interested that there is a star component. And when I click it, this behavior happens. I'm not necessarily uh, curious. In fact, one thing I would say to avoid is very specific hierarchies uh, in your selectors. So if you're using jQuery, you know, don't have like div.span.div.span and then the class name. That's going to be super brittle and hurt everyone. <laughs> you know, be very just zoom in. And one of the, the things we didn't get to was kind of the redundant coverage that's lightly touched here, uh, which is, you know, if you, one of the things I'm very excited about with a lot of the newer frameworks and especially Ember back in the day was that you could actually route to a particular page. And in my experience with Selenium was very strange. Uh, we used to have so much duplicate coverage because we come into the same login screen, go through the same flows and eventually get to the, you know, over and over and over. And so we had these duplicate flows. And of course, one, you know, post login bug would break everyone. And what I, what I kind of aspire to now is that if you can avoid some of the duplicate stuff by just routing or deep linking in the test, that's going to save everyone a ton of pain later on. So in fact, Ember, obviously React Router, I'm sure Vue has something. If you can jump down and save yourself a lot of time, do that for sure. Awesome. Cool. Um, is there any other uh, TDD stuff that you wanted to uh, share or, or get into before we start wrapping things up? I think I'll, uh, you know, if you're going to plug this 2015 talk, I'll probably also send you a link for what I think is a more modern look at test run development. Uh, and it's, of course, Ember, but it's an outside in specific talk. And it shows a really interesting workflow uh, by example of how I start from this acceptance test and work down and then bubble back out. Uh, as well as uh, this November, I'll be running a uh, outside in workshop for two days. Uh, and it's actually outside in TDD.com. So I'll plug that as well. Awesome. Is that like... Um 
like a webinar sort of style thing where people, or is it in person? Uh, it'll be over the web. Yeah, I did basically uh, three different events like that last year, and they were all you know sold out and really well uh, attended. So trying it again this year. So awesome, man! Sounds very cool. So um, yeah, I guess uh, what's the best way for people to kind of keep up with uh, the stuff that you're working on, and uh, you know, keep up with any ideas and stuff that you're sharing online? Yeah, definitely Twitter. I'm Torin B uh, on Twitter and uh ping me there if you have any questions uh super excited and thankful to be on adam i really appreciate no thank you it's been uh, great to, to have you on and chat with you about this stuff this is a topic that um you know i'm still getting my feet wet with so any opportunity to talk to people who have a lot of experience in this stuff is uh, super beneficial for me and i think super beneficial for a lot of the listeners because i think a lot of them are in the same sort of place that i am so yeah Cool, man. Well, uh, thanks for coming on the show. And if anyone is interested in checking out uh, show notes for this episode, they'll be available at fullstackradio.com slash 49. Thanks, everyone. See you next time.